0: As I'm sure everyone has heard by now, uh, we we have lost some key members of our community, uh, Dave Smith of Sequential Circuits and Darwin Gross from the Art Music Technology podcast, amongst many other things. Um, and I wanted to find a way to pay tribute to them, or memorialize them, or honor them, um, because of their profound influence, not only on me but our entire community uh, Darwin's podcast and the way he conducted himself in his interviews was monumental in my development as a podcast host. Uh, in fact, when I started the show, I I was tipped off about art, music, technology. Somebody said, Hey, somebody's doing some, somebody's already doing, done something that's kind of similar to what you're doing. You might want to check it out. And, um, and, uh, yeah, then I got kind of worried, Oh no, is this, am I biting someone's style? And, uh, but Darwin was so, so an like gracious about everything we, you know I I talked with him and and then had him on the show so uh yeah just just profoundly influential and then you know Dave Smith what can you say about Dave Smith that hasn't already be, been said I know I can't think of anything other than my personal experience um, he was just incredibly gracious to allow Ellison and I to uh, spend some time with him in his office in San Francisco it was uh it was it was truly one of the the highlights uh of my adult life um not just the podcast uh so yeah i just i want to play their episodes i was going to snip out a couple little clips of each one and put it in uh in an intro but it didn't that didn't feel like it was enough so uh i'm going to play them in their entirety back to back this week with no ads nothing um i just uh, if you've if you've already heard them i i i ask you to listen again in the context of their passing and uh you know and if you haven't you know this is a great way to to kind of get a little bit of their personality and and if you haven't listened to the art music technology podcast uh and you and you enjoy this show at all go back go back to the beginning and listen to all of it it's just it's it's a treasure trove um yeah, I, I can't keep talking. I'm, I'm going to just babble and babble and babble. Let's get into these episodes. Thank you, Darwin and Dave, for uh, paving ahead of us this road that we are all currently walking on. All right. Well, Tim Held here, and I am talking with uh, Darwin Gross today, who uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys know is the, the mastermind behind the art, music,
1: and technology podcast. So welcome, Darwin. Ah, thank you so much for having me. It's kind of cool to be on the other side of the mic for a change.
0: Yeah, I bet. That was uh it's it's a little surreal surreal hearing your voice right now cuz I've been binging your uh your podcast while at work. Um <laughs> I uh I was made privy to it by one of my recent guests and uh after listening to it, I thought to myself, well, oh shit, I inadvertently unknowingly kind of stole Darwin's <laughs> Whole, whole uh show format so um <laughs> i uh i apologize for that um and uh but i also just recently talked with tom hall who i know you talked with and um because i listened to that episode it, it actually gave me a little bit of a a nice challenge a welcome challenge to uh to try to cover some new ground with him and then tell the listener to uh, also listen to your talk with him so yeah well, thanks for that
1: yeah no worries and uh in fact i just uh this coming weekend, you're going to be hearing uh, from Abraham Engel from AI Synthesis for oh, about the same reason. I uh, <laughs> I was listening to your podcast and I was like, oh, this, <laughs> I I've been kind of following him from afar for a while, so it was really great to talk to him as well. But yeah, oh, you know, so cool. it's uh, it's kind of interesting. There's, I mean, I have done over 230 of these uh, interviews already, so it's uh there's a lot of stuff out there, but this at the same time, all of these stories are people's stories are constantly changing and constantly evolving, and there are an awful lot of stories to be told so it's it's great to have more people out there doing it
0: yeah yeah it's um it's been cool to kind of go back through your catalog and see, okay well, I'm going to be talking to them as well, and so I'll <laughs> listen to it but I'll also know that, okay, this is an older episode, so I get to kind of, you know, catch up where you left off. So right. it's, it's, uh, it's cool we got a little ping pong thing going on. Yeah, indeed. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, and since you brought up Abe, um, I'll just uh, go into it now, is I wanted to know if you've had a similar experience as me, but I've done, I think you are now probably my 22nd uh, conversation. I've released 18 episodes, but I would say most... Of the guests that I've had on who I've met for the first time over our conversation We've kind of kept in touch and and are kind of you know internet buddies or or what have you and uh And Abe after having him on we we hit it off and we ended up talking for another hour after we stopped rolling and um Yeah, that's how we became you know He became a sponsor of the show and we're constantly kind of just chatting about this and that and uh, we're gonna Make plans to hang out so I'm, I'm wondering if if something similar like that has come out of your your show
1: Uh, it it does uh certainly i get uh i get to know people uh and i get to keep in touch with them over a long period of time now the flip side of it is i'm doing it every week and so that's like yeah i i give myself two weeks off a year but that's like 50 contacts a year right (laughs) that's uh, a lot of people to keep in contact with and the other thing is um i'm not a people person actually (laughs) And so, kind of maintaining <laughs> those connections believe. those connections can sometimes be a little painful well but and, yeah, I do, you're up in the go ahead uh well, but i do uh I do actually uh keep in touch with a lot of people, and what's fun is that when I do things like I go to the Nam show or I go to uh the ableton Loop thing or whatever, I will so often uh meet and and get a chance to spend face time with people and that that has always been kind of a really interesting. Uh, entree is to know that you know now I know kind of in depth something about them and it really gives us a good uh, kind of a good platform to to have great conversations
0: yeah you got it you got a little bit of a springboard you can hit Indeed. the ground
1: running with a lot of people so That's as right. a,
0: as somebody a self-proclaimed non-people person I imagine that is helpful in FaceTime situation <laughs> it, re- it really is yeah <laughs> so as somebody who has just kind of launched off into an endeavor of a weekly podcast. um I'm, I'm just, I'm really curious just to kind of pick your brain on, on just how, how you've maintained and into over 200 episodes and, and how many are you, how many people are you talking to a week and and how much time do you put into it? Because that's, that's just an incredible amount of work on top of, um, you're already very impressive, uh, you know, CV, I guess you'd call it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm a, I'm a busy little beaver. I mean, I'm lucky (laughs) that, uh. I have a very supportive family in terms of giving me opportunities to pursue some of these things. Um, I spend it uh, between interviews and editing and prep work. Uh, I spend roughly eight hours a week on the podcast. Uh, now, some of that's going to seem odd, but it's you know it. I don't do a lot of prep work before the interviews. That's kind of an important part of part of it for me. One of the things I found is if. I spent a lot of time on prep work, I would end up speaking to people in a very interview kind of a way, and Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of times didn't resonate with the listeners. In fact, the closer it became to a personal conversation, the more often I got great feedback from people. So it's when I started realizing that talking to people about their history and their background and backstory... Uh first of all it was something where everybody has a different story but also it's something where if I listen I'll come out of it with 5000 questions that I want to ask right so it's That's a so really funny. great yeah. it's a really great way to make sure that it's always fresh the other thing is frankly it's my damn podcast so <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of choosing people that I know ahead of time I'm going to like or I'm mm-hmm. going to at least find interesting so that keeps it pretty fresh all the time Right. That's so funny. Um I'm
0: I'm kind of I've I've recently found the the perfect amount of balance between the research thing and and the the no prep because when I first started this um a lot of my friends when I told them I'm not going to do research on the guests and they're like are you crazy? Like what are you going to talk about? And I'm just If you want to ask somebody about their artistic endeavors, a lot of the times you can't get them to stop talking. So it's like you just get them going a little bit and then a conversation happens. Um, I did find, however, that having just the the slightest bit of just kind of topics just to kind of. So I want to ask you about X, Y, you know, and then. You know, because I totally agree. I part of what I love about podcasts is just the conversational nature, and I think that's why I can spend an eight hour day at work and listen to you know eight of your episodes. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just it's just listening.
1: I'm a fly on the wall. It's pretty cool. Well, wow, that kind of blows me away. I mean, the no prep thing has backfired on me a couple of times. The worst one, <laughs> and I and I still am like cringing over my uh, my interview with Josh Eustace from Telefon. Telephone Tel Aviv, and Uh um, I had knew known of his work, but I hadn't listened to extensively. And subsequent to the interview, I've become a little obsessed with both the Telephone Tel Aviv as well as the Second Woman work that he's been doing and stuff. But at the time, I was coming to it a little green. I got introduced by some friends, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool. I'll just you know kind of go in blind, right?" Mm -hmm. And I uh, I made some statements about <laughs> about some, his releases and he was, you could just almost imagine on the other side of the line he was like, "What? Who is this guy?" Right? <laughs> because uh, I was like, very I was uh, very much not knowledgeable about some of his work in a way that most people would have been. So it kind of it kind of backfired me in that case. But in most cases, it does all right because and, and again it keeps me super engaged because. I'm learning about these things and i'm I'm really interested and it causes me to listen really closely too I totally agree yeah
0: i i I have a hard enough time keeping my attention on one thing, so it is yeah it's nice to have it just have it be somewhat new information or you know filling in gaps that you don't have. Um, my backfire story is kind of the whole concept of this. I got obsessed with modular synthesis before I really knew anything about modular synthesis (laughs) (laughs) and I uh I started this podcast and on like the third episode somebody was like yeah I was using a surge system and I was like uh does that is that supposed to mean something to me and in hindsight I totally cringe at that because like if you don't know what surge is you have no business starting a podcast but through this show and talking to so many people I have learned so much more in three months than I would have in a year on my own so yeah, that's my little kind of caveat yeah, on I hear that
1: you. show. I
0: hear you, <laughs> so yeah, I'm kind of curious what what kind of what started. Were you listening to a lot of podcasts and just thought, hey, I've got an idea for this?
1: Or yeah, how did how did you come to do start the podcast? Um, I had uh, it, I I actually started it when I lived in Colorado. I lived up in the mountains, and um, I was teaching down in denver i was teaching at the university of denver uh in the art department there and uh that that was one of like five jobs i was doing at the time (laughs) but uh it was like an hour's drive each way and uh i had this old piece of crap truck that did not have a decent radio on it and so i was kind of like flummoxed about what to do you know i'd load up albums on my ipod but i have this like funny thing where I have trouble driving and listening to music at the same time, uh, mm. because music really engages my like analysis part of my brain, and then mm. next thing I know, I'm driving into trees. So <laughs> it's not a not a good com- combination for me. So oh, instead, um, what I started doing was I was like, well, there's these people doing uh, interviews, and so you know, it really started for a lot of people. Uh, it, you know, things like this American life and some of these kind of shows are sort of your introduction to listening to an interesting story, you know, mm-hmm. in your, in, on your drive. And, um, from there I kind of slipped into saying, well, you know, what else is there? And I saw this podcast thing on my iPhone. So I went fishing around and I ran across Mark Marin's WTF podcast. That was the first one for me too. Yeah. And um <laughs> I started listening to it and I was like, This guy, A, is a knucklehead, but B <laughs> is pretty light on his feet. Uh-huh. And and C also seems to be like, you know, completely unaware of the fact that sometimes he doesn't sound like he knows what he's doing, but it's still <laughs> all right, right? Yeah. And so I uh really enjoyed listening to listening to his thing and I ended up uh kind of just saying, you know, that's something I could do. And so I was out in um I was out in LA for a meeting with some of my coworkers and we were talking about, well, what what, what could we do that would be really different, right? And I was like, "Well, we all work on Max, this visual programming language. We ought to do a podcast about it because what could be more stupid than an audio podcast about a visual programming language, right? <laughs> and they all just like laughed and then just like didn't want to talk to me for the rest of the day. But that stuck <laughs> in my head, right? And so I came back and I actually, uh, many of the first interviews I did were people in the Max world, but also I have for a long time been a modular addict. And so... It was natural for me to reach out to my friends in the modular world and and really, my podcast took off uh the first time i interviewed uh paul from Paul from synthtech and okay. um what's what's his name paul I got <sighs> Paul Schaefer in my head now for christ's sake <laughs> but anyway um paul from uh from synthtech was on and uh, that sort of like blew up my podcast. And so for the first time instead of like two hundred listeners, I had five thousand. And wow. um yeah, it jumped because a lot of people were into him and he's kind of an acerbic guy, and so it really made for a great discussion. He and I had known each other for a long time, so uh we were he was up for the banter. Uh-huh. And um it kinda it kinda blew up from there, and then at that point I was like, Well, let's rock and roll. And so, uh, you know, the name of the podcast, I mean, I wish I could, I wish I would have been thinking about it. You know, having plus signs in the name is like a big no, no for searches. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of music and a lot of tech and not as much art maybe as I would want to, but I think it, the name of it kind of lends itself to saying, Hey, this could go in a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was just. It was one of those things where it ended up. Now it's it really has a life of its own. And when I talk to people about it, a lot of them talk about it as as sort of like the oral history of kind of the music and art technology of our time, which is pretty, yeah. is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a canon of sorts or something. And yeah, a little and bit. I would say like yeah, you 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 mentioned there's not so much art, but. I th- I never thought that, and I think what you do with the the wide um, you know the breadth of different types of artists that you come on with sound artists and people who work with making music with plants and and yeah, you had right. uh, was it Ed Ed Ball on yeah, recently yeah the painter um, yeah yeah and I, you know I got in contact with him after that and and we're talking about I'm going to try and submit some stuff for his book and yeah. and we've it's been chatting and um, yeah it's it's very cool to see just. Cause I feel like th- there's a certain type of people who are drawn to, to in like something like my show and especially your show. And it's just what I love about it is I can hear something about somebody from Make Noise or I can hear something from uh, you know somebody who teaches at Berklee School of Music or mm-hmm. and and half of these people I haven't heard of. And what I like about your show, which was something that I liked about Marin's show was I would listen even if I had no idea who the person was. I wouldn't even look at the description. I'd be like, this is gonna be good. Yeah, I'm gonna right, learn exactly. something. You well,
1: know. I really appreciate that. That's what I hope for. I I hope that I can I mean because in a way, I also am like short attention span guy, right? And so for me <laughs> it's almost like if i do two or three modular people in a row i start like getting itchy around the neck and it's like i gotta get Mm -hmm. an academic on here and i get a couple (laughs) academics and i'm like oh i gotta get somebody who owns a label or something like that right right yeah so i kind of like uh it it really helps that i that i like a lot of variety in my life too so
0: yeah no that works out great and i'm I'm just I mean like I'm still getting getting my sea legs here, but um I'm finding that even though it's a it's a modular podcast, uh, what I've been enjoying about the recent episodes is is fifty percent of the the conversation is just two people sitting it's almost like we're just having lunch together and and we can talk about all sorts of different things and and I'll bring it back to modular every once in a while. but i think I think just people just like to listen to interesting conversations and I'm still kind of trying to crack that code. Like podcasts are, have just blown up, and yeah. people prefer them over so many forms of entertainment. When I found a podcast, I—I I mean, I'm a music guy. I grew up playing and listening to music constantly. It's my life, and I listen to more podcasts than I do music now, which right. is—it's kind of weird to me.
1: Well, if you think um, about it, I mean, this is like one of those cases. I, yeah. So here's a reveal: I'm literally old as stones. In comparison to most <laughs> most people that I meet, right? So, um, but so I definitely had a significant life before the internet. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was really crappy was that uh, if you were into something that was even modestly obscure, right? So, like before, mm-hmm. I was a synth guy. I was a guitar guy, right? Yep. But you know, if you were like if you were a a guitar guy in 1980 and you wanted to hear some guitar other than Eddie Van Halen, good luck, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, If you wanted to ever read or if you would ever want to hear an interview with somebody, well, you'd better hope that those people stumbled into an NPR office somewhere because otherwise you just were not going to hear anything other than the complete mainline, center of the road, what the industry was going to spit into your ear. That's what you were going to hear, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that was amazing for me with the internet was when I got when I first got LinkedIn it was through this uh, weird connection at a place that I was working and I ran into the first uh, mailing list it was eMusic L and synth L Uh, these two things and all of a sudden people are talking about you know OB eights and I don't know I don't like the OB eight as much as I like the OBX. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh." (laughs) I was so excited, right? I was like, these are my people. I found my people, (laughs) right? And what was hilarious is that um, that through these, like, this kind of thing, all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, and, you know, I live in in Milwaukee and other people are like, I live in Milwaukee too. Let's get together. I mean, people, you know, we all crawled out of mom's basement and, like, got together and started talking. (laughs) But, um, Uh you know... Now with podcasts, it's almost like you have that same sort of thing with radio. It's almost like having the radio that you really wish existed. You can just Mm -hmm. dial in your own set of podcasts. And I mean, I'm obsessive podcast listener too. And I've got like three things that I love and that's all I have to listen to. It's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's I, I, it's it's always kinda sad when I wake up on Monday morning and, and nobody's got something new for me. So I was very happy to find yours because it's always nice to find a, a large back catalogue to be right. like Oh yeah. I don't need to wait until next week. I've got two hundred plus episodes. Yeah, and through.
1: one that's not stuck behind a
0: paywall, right? Right, yeah. <clears throat> um so I have I have a question about I don't know how how close an eye you keep on like individual listens or anything, but I was wondering, with stuff like your talk with Walker Farrell and Tom Hall, and I know Tom Hall was more recent, but, like, I think Walker Farrell and Tony Orlando were were a while ago. Right. Have you noticed that those kind of, like, modular guys who work for the big companies like Make Noise are maybe having, like, kind of a another spike in downloads with the increasing popularity of modular?
1: Sometimes. Um, yes. I mean... So if if you take a look, if you, like, lump all of my interviews into, like, big sets of stuff, I mean, one set of stuff would be the modular guys, one set of stuff would be the artists, and one set of stuff would be, like, academics. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there's, like, a scattering of other folks, right? But Mm -hmm. generally speaking, what I get is I get a modest spike the the academics are sort of like the baseline. I don't get any kind of spike with academic, but oftentimes uh, those are the ones that kind of like are really consistent. When I look at the back catalog listens, uh, the academics are really consistent. It's sort of like the same amount every month, right? Wow, the, that's interesting. Yeah. The modular people tend to really spike as soon as it goes, and then it's almost like... I can tell when Make Noise put out a new module because <laughs> all of a sudden I'll see a spike in Make Noise Listens, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, And uh, then conversely, the artist things, uh, those tend to have a big spike when they first go out because oftentimes people want to talk to me right around the time of a release. So it yeah. tends to get kind of like bundled in with other kind of activity and... Um, and, and so those tend to be kind of a one-shot spike. But again, mixing those those three kinds of things together makes for a really, to me, a, a very organically strong mix. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and, you know, the addition of the academics, a lot of people think that, well, it would be, you know, if we just heard less of those people. But, you know, I am a... I was one of these people that was, like, stunned by computer music when it first happened. And mm. I, in a way, I feel like I owe the academic world for coming up with all this stuff. And uh-huh. so <laughs> I want to make sure that that those stories get heard as well. And some of those stories are amazing. I, um, In a coming week here, I've, I've got a discussion with Curtis Rhodes, who sort of, like, it has popularized the whole world of granular synthesis right
0: okay and yeah through
1: his through his writing but also i mean so he had this book microsound which was really the thing that took it from being an obscure academic thing to something that everyone is salivating over mm-hmm. um, it's amazing to be able to talk to him and hear his stories about how yeah you know i used to have to like take this tape from one machine to another and then you know <laughs> run it overnight to get 6 seconds of sound or something right oh. it it's a remarkable <laughs> thing to hear i mean and this isn't like this isn't like ancient egyptian history this is a guy who's still talking to us i mean he's a guy right. my age who just has you know has this experience of like just some really creaky old stuff the very beginnings of some of these kinds of sound creating tools
0: yeah i would have to say um that's that's probably one of my favorite aspects of of your your show you have again a wide berth of types of people but you have a wide berth of ages of people like i'm pretty sure yeah. the vcv rack guy is pretty young yeah. and then you know you're you're talking to people who are hanging out with don buchla yeah. um yeah right it's it's just cool to and and it's it's cool like i'm, I'm not listening in order which i don't think really matters but no. it's funny to have kind of puzzle pieces start falling together like (laughs) I've heard this term a lot and then you talk to the guy who coined the term and you're like oh okay that all locked in and going back to what you were saying about the academics is what I really like about that side is it's 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 totally fresh to me like I I went to I went to college and grad school but I studied anthropology so I, I don't I know nothing about coding or electrical engineering or anything I'm fascinated by it so to hear somebody with authority be interviewed by somebody who has a, a grasp on the knowledge is i don't know maybe i'm a geek but it's it's just very very
1: interesting well i'll tell you one of the one of the cool things and <laughs> i'll tell you i'm I, right now i'm like a real book guy so i read yeah. probably i read between 5 and 10 books a month i'm a oh, real reader you. right wow yeah and um so a book I'm reading right now is the latest Michael Pollan book called uh, Yeah called How to Change Your Mind, and it talks about it talks with people that are into like the psychedelic, the the use of psychedelic drugs for sort of like self medication, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting to me because one of the things I notice in general when people talk to other people about drugs, if they're not like completely burned out. A lot of times there's an excitement where I just can't talk, stop talking about it. I just can't stop talking about it. It's amazing. It changed my life. It's amazing, right? What's mm-hmm. interesting to me is that in the academic world, there is that feeling about computer music and electronic music. When you get those people talking, this stuff was life-changing to them. They were oftentimes... You know, stuck playing a clarinet and why, wondering why it is that this is what they were doing, and then all of a sudden, they stumbled on the one guy with the crazy hair, and the <laughs> and the you know the mismatched buttons on his shirt, who invited <laughs> him to just like listen to a tape that was done with the computer, and it changed their world, right? Right. Yeah. When, and so <laughs> they talk with this excitement, and this excitement of things that happened forty years ago, and they just it you know they, they they're like evangelists they're so into it um and mm-hmm. and so that that's the kind of cool thing even among the most staid of academics there's like this just barely pent-up excitement about how much they love what they're doing <laughs>
0: yeah i mean they devote their life to it so that that's it's it's, it's be, having like i i departed from music to go you know i I never stopped playing but i i to to pursue academics and it was it was a very similar force that like that would drive me and and it's and i think with with music and academics it's it's a curiosity and i think it's kind of a marriage of a curiosity and then a confirmed um like hypothesis or something like that. I think it might be like this. And then you get that confirmation and then you feel like you have this superpower or something. right? And then you you just kind of get going with that. Um, And that's kind of how I'm feeling with modular. Um, I was a guitar guy like you and I was obsessed with effects pedals. And now that's just to the nth degree with, with modules. So
1: yeah, it's a, yeah, well it's it's, right. Effects pedals are, are sort of like the gateway drug for so many people. That's a fact (laughs) for sure. (laughs) um oh yeah sorry it's so hot here and are you still in Colorado no actually about two years ago um so when I was in Colorado I lived way up in the mountains so it was like Uh we were up at 10,000 feet so it was like (laughs) I was uh suffering from oxygen deprivation at all times but um it was lovely it was beautiful every day but also um, I have uh, a number of kids that are, that are teenagers now, mm-hmm. and uh, believe me, when you know they want to go to the movies and they want to go to the school dance or whatever, and each one of those things represented two hours of driving, you know, <laughs> just to get just to get into town or whatever. It was just not fun. Became yeah. unsustainable, and um, both my wife and I grew up in the Midwest, and so we were like, well, you know, let's look at doing that again, and where would we go and uh we've both always loved the area near minneapolis but we also now don't want to live in a city so there's a little town outside of minneapolis called northfield it's the home for uh, for two really cool little colleges which means okay. that it's like kind of like my people right uh-huh. and uh both of which have like really interesting uh music departments but also art departments and just really cool folks and so we moved to this little town bought a little house and and our happiest clams oh that's nice
0: um are you
1: guys are you guys dealing with some uh, horrid humidity then right now? Actually the last week has been there Minnesota gets a kind of a bad rap for weather. And you yeah. know, I'll I'll tell you there's a couple of weeks every winter where you'd rather be almost any place else. <laughs> and there's a couple of weeks in the summer where you'd rather be anywhere else as well. But the rest of the time we're we're having sort of like this this time this Minnesota summertime where it's like Seventy-five degrees. There's a little breeze, and you just feel like you got a little bit of heaven. It's pretty nice. Oh, that would be so nice. It's and been I'm, I'm here, here. like, I, yeah, I know. I'm talking to all the West Coast people, <laughs> and I and it's all I can do to just not go Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like y'all are getting put through it.
0: It's yeah, yeah. See, Seattle. Well, the the Northwest in particular is is you you can't call it rough. You know, like. I grew up in a, a tiny little mountain town, actually, where the the show Northern Exposure was filmed, oh, yeah. uh, Roslyn, Washington. Oh wow! Um, and so I grew up with snow. You know, we'd wake up to two feet of snow sometimes, and then the the winter, the summers were pretty warm. And uh, I moved to Michigan for grad school, and I thought I can handle the winters. And it was <laughs> uh, it was a whole new ball game. For yeah. me, getting out there and the summers with the humidity and right. listen to us going on about the weather. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it is that time of year. And, and again, like yeah. I said, I I talked to my, my friends and coworkers on L.A., for example, and that's all that they can talk about right now. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine what they're
0: going through. I shouldn't yeah. complain up here. Um, I'm So being out there, you, you probably don't have much opportunity, if any, to do uh, in person. So is all of your stuff during, go, uh, going through Skype or... Do you do one-on-one stuff?
1: Yeah, no, I, I probably have done a total of, like, three face-to-face interviews. I, okay. Um, and, in fact, uh, one of the things that's common is that people will light up and people have, you know, I use Skype and people will have their cameras on and and I specifically (laughs) do this on another machine that doesn't have a camera and I'm just Uh, like turn the camera off because otherwise I'll answer your questions by nodding or shrugging my shoulders and who the hell's (laughs) gonna hear that right
0: yeah I I talked to Tom Hall the other night and he popped up and I was like oh hey I'm not using my camera and uh (laughs) Yeah. He's like, all right, I'll turn mine off. It was cool to get a, a little glimpse of, yeah. of the studio, but right. yeah, I think, I think it's as a, a primarily auto, you know, audio uh, and only audio format. You should, that's, that's a good rule. Right. Um, so that, that's a, that makes me feel a little better to hear going back a little bit in our conversation that you, you spent about eight hours cause I'm finding myself spending about that a week, Yeah. um, on the show. And, I just, I wish I had more time. I've got more ideas, but I, I'm I'm settling into a groove. Um, but how many people do you talk to a week?
1: Um, I, a lot of times I'm right up to the wire. Uh, and <laughs> and again, it depends on my schedule. So, I mean, I, at any time, I'm kind of juggling a lot of things. I have a full-time job working for Cycling 74 as a, you know, with doing the development of the MAX language, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, I have, uh, I have the podcast, which is, which is time consuming. I write articles for recording magazine, uh, mm-hmm. cause I have long history doing recording studio work as well. Uh, I try and keep, uh, I, I've been working on this book series that I've been putting together for a while. I try and do like daily practice on my instrument stuff like that so i'm juggling an awful lot of stuff and and so a lot of times it's sort of like uh you know i'll forget about interviews and then all of a sudden i say oh crap i gotta get something for next week right (laughs) oh Um,
0: man that's we live a very similar life
1: (laughs) yeah so what i often do is i'll often kind of like stack up three or four and then that gives me a month's worth um Mm -hmm. and but I find it a very taxing thing to talk to people because, again, I, I'm listening so intently that it can be uh, it can be a little difficult to really to stay focused for an hour or so and you know, to do a good job with an interview. So, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I I hear you there. I'm I'm currently I work 40 hours a week and then um, come home and I'm right now I'm I'm kind of hitting it hard trying to do a couple two to three a week if I can, but because I'm getting married in September, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to miss a week, but I also don't want to have to be working on this when, when my uh, fiance is going to need my undivided attention.
1: Well, (laughs) it's, it's one of the things for me is it's actually a a great relief to allow myself to say, I'm going to give myself two weeks off a year. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't necessarily pre-schedule those. And this year I kind of got waylaid because I had a person that I interview request a delay in the, in the interview being released. And so I had to just sort of of like hold up and I didn't really have any backup plan. Right. So, uh, that, that kind of stole one of my, one of my days off, but nevertheless, it's, it's important to give yourself a few days off and, uh, I just make sure that if that's happening, I post something on on social media and stuff that basically says, "Hey, it's a great time to check out the back catalog."
0: Yeah. Now, speaking of social media, maybe I'm I'm not good at looking, but do you
1: you don't have um, an Instagram account for the podcast? Is that right? No, I don't. It's Instagram has been one of those things. I again. Um, Trying to hide the fact that I'm old as dirt means that I'm not like real super ready with the camera, right? (laughs) (laughs) And Instagram really focuses on the visual part of it. But uh, so, no, I'm not I'm I'm not very Instagrammed. Um, There is a there is a Facebook uh, group, uh, but also a lot of my Facebook interaction has just been people who knew me rather than knew the podcast and similarly with twitter it's it's a lot about people who know me rather than the podcast
0: yeah well i i've uh i don't want to evangelize too hard for a social media thing because it feels very silly but i will say that um instagram has been instrumental in me finding more people in the community and just seeing what kind of cool things are going on and actually i think it's helped me grow my audience um it's it's been really crazy i contact a lot of my guests through the instagram messenger and um uh-huh. and it's been i don't know it's it's been a lot of fun so i mean i don't i don't want to tell you how to live your life darwin but i i think you might well, you enjoy will it. anyway right yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay all <laughs> right awesome <laughs> um well and also uh instagram paid me to ask you that so oh, there you go um, awesome. yeah. <laughs> fantastic um, so a Facebook you don't, company, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, if Facebook's just becoming more and more of a wasteland. Oh, these I'm days.
1: telling you, it's it's getting a little on my under my skin right now as well.
0: Yeah, uh, it's you know, uh, this is something I want to ask you as somebody who who pursues all these these passionate projects. Do you? Because this is how I feel, kind of. Sometimes I feel like there's so much going wrong in the world right now. I shouldn't. Is it? Is it almost? Um, I don't know is it irresponsible I feel sometimes guilty for enjoying myself talking about things I'm interested in Uh because I feel like maybe I could be spending my time doing something I don't know I think that's just maybe my Catholic upbringing
1: I I hear you now here's here's was what I is what I would say and and actually when people ask me about because again I I get a lot of things accomplished in my life right um Mm -hmm. and people ask me about it and and i'm I'm quite honest in saying that I think that one of the scourges on um on our on our lives right now is the way that the media world acts and reacts towards things, this mm-hmm. sense where everything has is uh breaking news and 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 scary stuff, and you need to be worried about this and you need to be paid paying attention to that. So much of that is just generated in order to make sure that you'll stay tuned in to find out what's the latest stupid thing Donald Trump's done, or what's mm-hmm. the latest person who's had a scandalous uh, life change, or who, you know, who cheated on who, or who ripped yeah. off whom, or who shot whom. And it's—I mean—it is important to understand what the world around you is about but oftentimes if you look closely or if you talk to people that are really living a life you'll find out that that their experience isn't the experience that's portrayed in the media anyway but the media is kind of Mm -hmm. set up to churn you into wanting more media and so for me uh, a lot of my life is spent not knowing a whole lot about the news (laughs) <laughs> because uh, and and the information I get are from people uh, I have good friends and coworkers who who explain what their experiences are and what are, what things are bothering them or or where their sensitivities are being poked and and I learn things through them. You know I don't want to I'm not a fake news screamer because I, right. I do think that there's a lot of. Uh, outlets for great news, I was just in washington d c and I went to this place called the Museum, which is a museum about news organizations and what they do and It was really amazing the the amount of impact and, and the way that sort of like they are like our greatest tool for combating tyranny, right but yeah. at the same time i I watched the kind of news things that come across social media or that I would run into uh, in my web browser. And I was like, I have to expunge this from my life because otherwise it just ends up a problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's important to find that balance, um, to, to try to stay informed, but also not because all this, what's the latest, you know, scandal is really just to sell you tide pods and, you know, whatever. So, um, so we are, uh, we're already at 40 minutes and we haven't That's really nice. talked too much about modular. So I want to get into that in a second, but All right. I did want to you, you mentioned you're working on a book series and yeah. I kind of, that that sounds interesting. I kind of want a little bit more information on that if you can share.
1: Yeah. Uh, so actually I have uh, one, I'm, I'm doing this as sort of like eBooks. I have one out right now. It's actually called book zero because it's like the preface book. Uh-huh. And what it is, is it's about. Uh, sort of like the four prototypical kind of modular synth patches: an East Coast style, a West Coast style, a percussive, and a chaotic patches. Right? Okay. And the idea is that for people who are hearing these terms, but and have a modular synth, but don't know what that means, it kind of gives a, an explanation of here's what it's about, here's why it works the way that it does and um it's uh it's a pretty neat way to approach uh learning more about your synth and then um my the the series that i'm working on is basically a three book series where um it's like uh a part of the modular and then sort of like a companion part so the first one is about oscillators and lfos the second book is about vcas and envelopes and uh the third is about filters and i haven't decided what's going to couple with that yet. oh man but that um, sounds awesome yeah and so um i actually have book one which is the oscillator book uh already in uh pretty much completed Uh, i just haven't figured out how to get it out there and then the other thing is is uh in order to provide documentation and, and like show patches, um, all of these things I originally did it with like just things that were I, I basically sort of like made a really super simplified version of all the standard modules. Like here's a thing that's sort of like a Pittsburgh oscillator and here's something uh-huh. that's sort of like a you know a, a really basic uh, dope for filter, right? but mm-hmm. make it so make it was always so simple that you could sort of like apply the same knowledge to whatever oscillator or filter you actually had right the nice thing is for that book zero um i just put a thing out on on muff wiggler that was sort of like hey if you want to try a book uh check it out it's free a free pdf and i think we've like shot 1500 of them out there already
0: oh and, that's great uh,
1: yeah and it's in The cost is like please let me have your email. So when book one comes out, I can drop a line. to you. you know?
0: <laughs> That's not asking too much.
1: Well, and you know, and, and the thing is, I've, I'm not very notorious for being a scamster. So I, I think I can get away with that.
0: <laughs> um, so what do you think the timeline on this? Are you going to kind of re- release them in sequence or are you going to finish them all and put them out as a batch?
1: Now nah, I need to put them out when they're done just to get, I mean, if nothing else, I would like the feedback on book one. So that book three is actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping by the time I get there, I'm, I, it's looking better. But um, you know, it's what there is going to be. Though it's going to be like, well, okay, I learned the oscillator. Where where the hell's the other stuff, right? So I'm uh, I need to be I need to be kind of on it. Uh, but again, it's like uh, my life's pretty busy, so I I need to make yeah. priority calls. And right now, that one kind of got. They get shelled as much as it's like kind of on the slow burner right now. Yeah, I, I get that. I've kind of viewed VCV rack as a great way,
0: like if I was going to get somebody, if I was going to try to sell somebody on modular synth, I would definitely have them start there. But you, if you don't know anything about modular synth and you open that up, you couldn't, you couldn't just start doing it. You so I think a, right. a book series like what you have would be an excellent um, companion with something like VCV rack. Because not right. everybody has, you know, the, the $2,000 it takes to drop on getting a very basic modular setup.
1: Right. Well, and this is where the book zero thing also is is a cool idea. You know, book zero, the whole idea was like, I'm making some books, but I don't have book one done yet. So here's book zero, right? And <laughs> it's like 100 pages still. But um, it is a nice way. It, it does sort of tell you, okay, here, just try this. You know, try hooking up two oscillators. Uh, the output of the oscillator into the input of the uh, one next to it, right? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's chaotic. And see what happens. You'll be surprised, right? Yeah. And those kinds of things, those kind of like prods or, you know, just sort of like little pushes forward can really help people uh, kind of get excited about learning more then. Yeah.
0: Well, and like modules themselves, little ideas of how to use them are are building blocks that you can start, you know, Right. You 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 give them that trick and then they learn a new trick and oh I can combine those two things in a really interesting way. Yeah. Um, exactly. Like I'm still finding new ways to use VCAs that are, you know, <laughs> it just seems like a, a very simple little module but uh yeah. Just uh, it's
1: that's I think that's what's so attractive about right. this format is it's just so open-ended. Um Well, well it was it was what drew me to modulars in the first place, the idea that and like my first modulars were like these really crusty old things but <laughs> uh it was it was amazing to me to be like to have a vca and be like okay i can use drive it with an envelope to turn you know to turn an oscillator into an event but oh look if i drive it with another oscillator it sounds oh that's amplitude modulation and oh mm-hmm. if i use the vca to to turn on you know to to swell in a cv now all of a sudden i have like changed modulation over time and you know now if i oh if this vca goes into negative now i'm getting ring modulation and you know it was just like every day every day is an exciting thing and i mean still i do i have like this daily modular practice thing right i i Mm -hmm. literally practice it like it was a clarinet and um but what I do is I say, okay, this jack right here, I'm going to use it in a way I never did, right? I mm-hmm. am going to take, you know, I have a, I don't know, I'll just pick something random. Uh, okay, so I have a uh, an IntelliGel dual uh, ADSR, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, there is that end trigger. I'm going to use that And in combination with the second one to see if I can kind of do like a delayed, you know, a a patch that delays itself instead of using a digital delay or something, I'm going to make a thing where it fires a delayed version of a second thing. And, you know, you just start playing around with these things and you force yourself to learn something new, you know, yeah. 80% 80% of the time, it's like, well, that was fun. I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> right? But when you do hit one, all of a sudden it's it's like, all right, this is my trick. right? This is my thing. I love thing. that. Right? Yeah. Well, Darwin, I have to say that you
0: just saved me so much time because when I'm feeling like I need to mix things up, I literally do that and I take everything out and I rearrange <laughs> where everything is because I feel like I, and now I can look at it as, that's that's such a great idea i think a lot of people just just got a new way of practicing without having to deconstruct their entire rack so well, there that's, you go that's Good really <laughs> yeah i'm gonna need it um <laughs> so, speaking of your setup i you mentioned when we were communicating about this that you're having some issues
1: are are yeah. you still having those issues uh it's it's coming around um i for the last eight ages uh for the last several years I uh, so I am I am an obsessive compulsive. I, I have many uh, psychological tweaks, <laughs> and um, one of You're them is company. that yeah. One of them is that uh, I, given my Druthers, I would drive myself into bankruptcy buying new modules, right? <laughs> and so what yep. I did what I did was I said okay, um, I am going to get a tip top station two fifty two uh, case and that is the only case i'm going to have so i have 252 mm. hp of space and i am going to limit myself to that so that's a good um, amount yeah it it, it is a nice amount and so it it worked and uh, i have the i have my buying strategies and stuff are ridiculous man uh, one <laughs> of the things that's a rule of thumb for me is that no module is a for-sure module until I've bought and sold it three times, right? <laughs> it's, I swear, it's how I... I
0: swear we, are, we are the same person in so many
1: ways. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's sort of like, I'll, buy, I'll get excited. You know, it's released. Oh, man, this sounds like it's going to be everything. And I'll buy it, and I'll be like, oh, it's not everything. So I'll sell it while the price is still high. And then I'll be like, like, you know, two months later, I'll be like, oh, man, it was so cool when I had that thing. I'm going to get it again. <laughs> and so now the price is a little lower, and I can convince myself, oh, wow, well, I didn't lose that much last time, and so I'm going to be good, right? And so I'll get it, and, I, and, I'll, and then it'll be in my rack for two months, and it's like, oh, I really need space for that other thing. And uh-huh. it'll go out, and then I'll sell it, and then it's like, then then at that point, it's like, if I'm going to buy it again, it's the third time, it's got to stay, yeah so then you know that's but it's not only modules i mean that's the way i am about all gear i i'm on my i'm on my third octa track right now (laughs) Uh, but this one looks like it's gonna stay because uh, especially the new version is pretty sweet so
0: (laughs) well mine is less economic than yours my method of doing this i buy something and then i want the next thing right now so i take three things down to our local store patchworks and i trade it and i get a new one and then i've lost you know that yeah. much but you know i i don't look i should look at it more economically but I, it's more of the experience and you know if i'm willing to lose some money to get that you know dual looping delay today then right I'm, you know i want that thing today um i'm definitely getting much better about keeping stuff and giving it more of a chance uh, yeah i just got a whole swath of really complicated stuff too many complicated things at once i'd say but yeah, but well, it's it's diffi-
1: it's tough because uh, there's a certain extent to which, I mean, these are instruments. I mean, all each mm-hmm. one of these modules is almost an instrument in itself, and to mm-hmm. really explore things uh, can be can be really difficult. And then when you, especially when you talk about uh, about the more complicated uh, the more complicated things, especially the things that don't have. Like real equivalences in Ableton Live or in a Juno 106, right? Mm -hmm. You get something like a an ER 301, or you get something like I don't know. Well, even something as as quote simple as a maths, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many different things that you can do it, but it's not something that reveals itself on day one, or even day twenty, or even day two hundred right yeah (laughs) you learn these things over time you learn these things by following conversations online you you get them from talking to friends who are like oh yeah I found this one thing you know and and these are the kinds of things that drive you into into learning in depth and you don't get that if you if you base the your feelings about a module on the first 20 minute experience Right,
0: right. So if you're out there, listener, and you're thinking <laughs> about getting rid of that module you just got, maybe
1: just give it a little bit more time. Well, try, um, you know, spend some time with each one of those jacks, man.
0: Yeah, yeah I love that idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that next time I, I tinker with it.
1: So um, is your is your rig set up to where you could uh, do a patch challenge, or...? Uh, it is, uh, more or less. Now, one of the things is for me, because... So the Station 252 is currently dead, but... um. What I did was I uh, I picked up a Pittsburgh uh, Structure EP-270. So it's a little bit bigger. It gave me an extra, you know, 18 spaces, which I immediately filled up with my Benjamin. So there you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, uh, so that's operational. And then normally I have, so I have this table with that on one half of the table and then whatever I'm using with it on the other half. So sometimes the other half is, I'm a big fan of MPCs, and I'm actually a huge fan of the current MPC live implementation. It's really a phenomenal piece of gear. Um, So sometimes it's an MPC, sometimes it's the Optitrack. Right now, though, it happens to be uh, my little boxes set up. So I have uh, a Proco Turbo Rat, a TC Electronics Ditto Looper, a TC Electronics Nova repeater and an eventide space, right? Oh, I love that space. Yeah. So this kind of like foursome, it it really orients itself towards doing loopy stuff. So hopefully the words that you draw for me are going to be oriented towards looping and delaying and reverbing (laughs) And and not something like, you know, uh, another fossil <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't know if you listened to
1: yes, I the did. R. Benny one, but the yeah, <laughs> yeah, poor
0: guy got Australopithecus. Exactly. I know, right? <laughs> uh, well, cool. Um, I will uh, I will draw you an adjective right now, then. Okay. And that adjective is come here. It is humdrum. That's fun. Uh, humdrum atrium. Oh, that sounds kind of nice. Humdrum atrium. Very nice. Yeah.
1: Hey, how's it going, Darwin? All right. Uh, so how how did it come along? Uh, went fine. It was uh, it was actually I I got a good couple of things. <laughs> the the words were good to me. So <laughs> good, good.
0: I'd have to say that's probably the most pleasing sounding pair I've I've drawn so far. Humdrum atrium.
1: Yeah, I know it's nice. It, it's even kind of alliterative, so it sounds like the name of my next album, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, um, I'm I'm curious before we dive into kind of listening to it and have you walk us through it. Um, something I'm, I've been interested to hear from the guests is is how did the time limit? How did how did you feel about the time limit?
1: Um, It really kind of parallels how I do live performance. So it wasn't that big of a thing for me. Um, I'm one of the few live performers who always starts their modular set with a blank patch panel. Wow. (laughs) And so as a result, um, I'm sort of used to like really quickly coming up with the sound. And this goes back to that like daily practice thing. Uh, in order to, you have to be really comfortable with the modules you're working with in order to pull that off. Right. I would never try
0: that right now. (laughs) Oh yeah.
1: Well, you know what though? I mean, it's, it's a thing that comes over time, but also it requires, it requires thinking about how you make your music. Right. So I, I tend to, when I see people do modular work, sometimes the work is about, um, is about the rhythm of it, right, you know, I think of like basic, you know uh mm-hmm. that's that's very much about the rhythmic aspect of what he's doing, right there are other people um I think of like Bonhoeffer maybe who mm-hmm. uh it's very much about the note selection, right, and other people it's very much about the process, you know, I think of someone like keith fullerton whitman who's who's really about the process of like making crazy stuff happen and, you know, almost like you need a math degree to really get through the patch, right? (laughs) And so, um, you know, it's, you kind of have to pick your place. I tend to be kind of a note guy. And, uh, and so I don't tend to do really complex patches, but what, what there is for me is there's this sense of making it so that when I do patch something, it really has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to having a small system too, right? Uh, as As a result, you'll hear in this thing, I'm actually running like the equivalent of five voices. Now, some of those were voices that i I almost always have a looper in play, mm-hmm. because with a small system, a looper sort of allows you to capture something and utilize that as an additional voice. Mm-hmm. And and then you can kind of repatch out and, and always have that loop to go back to as part of that voicing system, right? Mm-hmm. But uh that's so that for me that's kind of the genesis of how I put this stuff together. I'm I'm looking for note or sonic selections, but oftentimes note related, and then uh and then building building on that, but then every patch chord really has a purpose.
0: Right. Okay. Man, you're just giving me all sorts of inspiration. <laughs> I've uh I, I shudder at the thought of trying to perform with a blank patch, but now I'm like you've
1: kind of made me like, well, I'll see if I can do it. <laughs> well, if you think about it, I mean, realistically, you patch a sine wave into a digital delay and hit two notes with a lot of feedback and it kind of is pretty. You know? yeah, yeah. It's a nice yeah, del- <laughs> you can kind of you can kind of like bank on that delay to save your bacon in a lot of cases, so yeah
0: yeah i i I learned early on that if i wanted to get past the sound of making sounds of uh, two robots fighting i'm gonna need some (laughs) reverb and delay right right indeed (laughs) all right well um yeah if you want to do just a quick walkthrough of what you know is as technical or not technical as you want or if you want to just go straight into playing it um kind of like to let the guests decide if you want to walk us through Sure, it or not.
1: let me do a walkthrough because I have to kind of like repatch my audio in order to do the play. So let me talk through it really quickly. Okay. Um, so first of all, for the atrium part of it, I actually thought of, I used to work in a place that had a big atrium and inevitably there were birds flying around in the atrium, right? <laughs> so what I did was for the kind of massive sound of the atrium, I, I certainly... Uh, took advantage of the eventide space to help me out there. Um, But for this kind of concept of, like, birds in a big space, uh, one of the things I always like doing is utilizing a uh, self-cycling maths uh, Mm -hmm. envelope and then using that as the timing source for the rest of a patch, but then having a random source kind of, like, always modulating each, each iteration the timing changes so you end up with kind of these stuttery things it's it's sort of random time but not always and if i use a sequencer instead of a true random thing i can actually get some cycling i do that a lot i tend to use sequencers instead of randoms uh and it might be a sequencer with a lot of sequence a lot of sequence data but i do that a lot because it allows me to sort of control the experience a little bit okay so I did that and then I actually captured one short and one longer version of that same thing in the looper. So I have two of those as well as the uh, the live sound. So I have like three voices of these little kind of twittery things. And uh, the ones in the looper are uh, octave pitched uh, an octave higher to just give a little differentiation. And then for Mm -hmm. the humdrum part of it. Um, I, uh, I just took a really basic sine wave into a, uh, sine wave from a DPO into an Optimix and, um, just let it, uh, let it do a really, like, short sequences. Now, what I use for sequences is something that I do, again, a lot. Um, I, I was the designer of the Ardcore, which was the first module that was, like, you know, here, program your Arduino and use it inside of your, uh, inside of your modular. Um, I did it as I, I would, I was a late entrant into grad school and that was my graduate school project, right? It was great. I mean, what better (laughs) way to do it, right? But um, (laughs) so I made this thing that had an Arduino and part of my graduate thing was like, here's 25 modules you can make with this one module. You know, so I did, like, clock multipliers and logic things and all this stuff. But I made one for me, which I always loved the old Roland um, Mm -hmm. SH-101 monosynth because it had this sequencer that just, like, worked right with my brain. You'd you'd do something and then capture it, and then you could sort of, like, very simply utilize it, you know, and and kind of move it around. I, I just loved it. So I decided to do something similar in the Arduino, but what I added to it was the ability to change the starting point and the ending point of the sequence. So you're going to record like 64 notes and say, okay, I'm going to play the first three. And now I'm going to move up and play numbers six through nine. And now I'm going to jump up and play numbers 14 through 16, right? And oh, wow. so it allows you to have these tiny sequences, but you can change them and you can change the length and you can get variations. I love doing that because our brains want to hear repetition, but they get bored with too much repetition. Mm-hmm. So so this gives me the ability to have repetition, but also provide change and variation and update. It's, it's fun
0: yeah and, and probably some callback, you know, like, yeah
1: exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah come yeah. back, and then uh and then, because uh again, I want to enhance the sense of space, I just have a real simple noise in a mixer kind of a thing that i that i'll uh that I'll bring in as well to just sort of like emphasize the etremness of the thing, so it's much like a lot of my uh performance work, it's actually a very simple setup, but one that gives me a lot of playability. I'm I'm really big on, you know, give me something to put my hands in so I feel like I'm operate, I'm I'm operating the process while I'm performing, you know.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I can't wait to hear it.
1: There you have it. That
0: was that was really nice. I was oh, just thanks. sitting here closing my eyes and just uh <laughs> I felt like I was in an atrium. It was it was very nice. Alright, awesome. Well I did my job then. Excellent. Yeah. Well Darwin, I can't thank you enough for joining me tonight. Um uh, this was a lot of fun and I think uh I think our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing uh, hearing you get on the other side of the mic because uh, I know we have a lot of crossover. I'm sure most of my listeners are are fans of your show. So thank you for everything you do.
1: Yeah, well, and if they aren't, artmusictech.libson.com will get you the whole back catalog. There's a lot to listen there, and uh, it's worth the doing if you if you're up for it. So
0: yeah, if you're looking for
1: something new to binge
0: on, this is this is the place to go. <laughs> and uh, how about? How about the, the, the books book or
1: anything else you wanted to uh, you know direct, direct people towards? Um actually uh, I would have to actually look up. I think it's uh just just write uh write me at any of my like fifty email addresses, uh, <laughs> Darwin.gross at gmail dot com, DDG at cycling seventy four dot com, DDG at twenty objects dot com. Twenty objects is sort of like my uh my fun work. And uh that's actually who's publishing the book. So DDG at 20objects.com. And I think if you just write book at twenty objects.com, that actually goes to the uh the mailer that'll that'll get it funneled out. So something like okay. that, I'll get I'll get you a free copy of book zero. And um if you give me your email, I will uh I will actually Actually, send an email address when you contact me or send the books or whatever, because uh, then as soon as book number one is available, we'll make sure that we let people know. Right on,
0: and uh, to any listeners who are like, "Why didn't you talk about any of the stuff that he just mentioned?" Um, I yeah. apologize. We just uh, we just got into our talk, and then uh, yeah. next thing you know, an hour goes by. So, yeah, it's um, it's
1: it's easily that kind of thing. I mean, I wish we could have talked more <laughs> about Max because I have like guts full of stuff to talk about hybrid Max and modular stuff, and um, my history with modular. I, there's all kinds of stuff. My my history with the development of the Wired modular system there's all kinds of uh-huh. stuff there still left to talk about so yeah at some point all we'll the way reason do it to have you on again yeah, yeah. Right, indeed all right man <laughs> right on
0: well uh thank you darwin i'll stop recording yes indeed thank you darwin for everything please go check out his uh his his back catalog of podcasts there he's yeah you know how i feel about it um all right let's get into this chat that ellison wolf from waveform magazine and i had with dave smith in, uh, in his office in San Francisco okay
2: so where do we start yeah mm-hmm. alright
3: yeah, actually I've got 40 years ago All, and not today but 40 years ago this year Profit 5 came out
2: 40 years yeah, yeah. 40 years in January well it announced in January shipped in like March, April
3: alright so 40 years in like 7 months how does months, how
2: does it feel I feel old <laughs>
3: <laughs> I
2: mean, you know, when you do something that long ago, because you you, you lose track of it, you know. It's it's a cool thing to do at the time, obviously, but, you know, something that's long ago, it's just hard to continually dwell on it. So you just, it's just... I mean, the one thing is clearly back then we had no clue that anybody would still be using them in
3: 40 years. That's the amazing thing. I mean, there's there's
2: just... If somebody said, I think anybody will be using this in 10 years, I would have started laughing. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Why would it? Well, because you think, you, you know the technology is going to change, and in 10 years yes. the technology is going to be obsolete, but music's
2: not about it. it's, technology. It's not, well, te- music technology is much different than most technology, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's you can't compare it, and that's what everybody forgets. It's like, you know, how, you know, are guitars new technology? No, it's like wood and strings, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. there's nothing new about it, and yet you know people still use them still buy them still sell them. I mean it's uh, cuz it's a musical instrument rules are different yeah
3: people are excited yeah still yeah i mean we're talking to Justin cuz it's it's kind of amazing that you came out with three products you came out with like the Sequencer, two sequencers in the programmer is that the deal? Before, uh, before.
2: Well, I had I had an analog sequencer, then I had a digital sequencer, then I had a programming unit, and then the profit. and then the Prophet. It's a bit of a jump there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what
3: I was saying. I'm like I was telling him like it's like it's like making two tricycles and being like, yeah, now I built a hot rod. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but but hot rods didn't really even exist. cars existed, but hot rods never. Existed. So well, I
2: mean, but the, you know the sequencer had you know there's a lot of digital logic in it. I mean it's all digital logic. It didn't have a processor because. Not quite the time, yeah and the programmer uh, it was all logic also, but you know that basic control voltage programmability. so you know it was kind of like, okay, well, I know how to program things, and oh, here's some new synthesizer parts. I could build a synth, and I could combine the two and make it controllable. And then, of course, I'll use a microprocessor because I've already been I had been working on them with for like three or four years already, so it's like really brain dead obvious that that's the right way to do it.
3: What were you doing? I know you were, I mean, I read that as well, but what were you doing with microprocessors before synthesizers? Well, I
2: actually worked at a semiconductor company for a while, uh, developing microprocessors, and then I worked at two different companies. Uh, actually, I think the last one I was designing uh, computer, well, printing terminals. It's These are kind of hard to picture this now, but there was these desk-sized units that had a printer built in and a keyboard, uh, so you could, you know, type up stuff. You know, oh, like almost a, like a word processor, yeah. but not quite. Kind uh, of a
3: precursor to it. They what Was it like a precursor to the word processor? Yeah. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah. and in fact, right around then, I think is when. No, actually, it was even later when the first word processors came out. You know, when Xerox made these huge things. Uh, but yeah, it was just a microprocessor that would control uh, communication, serial communication, and control the printer and control the keyboard and stuff did like that.
0: Did you start studying that, that stuff to with the intent of getting into working with music technology? No, or no, it? It,
2: all, it all just sort of happened. Okay. I had a day job and uh-huh. that was my that happened to be what my day job was and it happened to fold over okay. since it's technology and new technology it happened to fold in to design. That,
0: yeah.
2: Oh I I played in bands okay. and you know, okay. stuff like that. And so I that's how I got into it originally, combining oh, okay. the music and the technology uh-huh. backgrounds and,
3: and then you had like a mini mode and you're like I'm
2: gonna be listening yeah. That mini mode.
3: That's crazy. I, bought, oh, I bought that in
2: 1972. It's one, one of the first few hundred built. And awesome. somehow it's still around. It's disappeared for years at a time. Oh, really? and, well, it's, you know, it's like 45 years old. Yeah. Uh, so, but how would
3: you know that was a one? Is serial
2: number? Or? Yeah, that's a serial number. It's like 1340 or something like that. And I think they, and I think they started at 1,000. Oh, so,
3: gee. Uh, well, because it makes it look like you've sold so many. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, that's, so uh, that's kind of like cheating. I, I, shouldn't, I, I don't know that for a fact. Yeah. I was... I heard that, or read it, or somebody told me that at one point, which may or may. You could look it up. I'm yeah. Sure. So,
1: yeah.
0: So, so a few minutes ago, you mentioned um, you you would never have pictured somebody using the the, the technology ten years from now, yeah, or you know, forty years from now. Kind of like in that in that frame of mind with the soft synth, were you kind of was it the same, or were you kind of expecting that to take off, and and now that it it's just like. Everybody uses it in every genre now, and you can do it on the on the bus. Like, well, we actually it? we knew it would. I mean, yeah. when,
2: at Seer Systems, where we did the very first soft synths ever, mm-hmm. we, our tagline was the future of music synthesis. we knew. Yeah. I mean, even though back then we it took a long time to explain people what it, we would be at an AM show, and we you know somebody be demoing it and they go, oh, what do I listen to? Oh, it's a soft synth. What's what do it? you mean? It's, it's, it's a computer program that makes music well, where is it what do you mean <laughs> oh you see that computer there and it was just the concept was just so foreign and uh, but we knew that y- you knew computers are going to get faster you knew they'll do more and more and it was clearly something that was going to happen mm-hmm. uh, the only difference was in my case about two or three years later I realized how for me, and as a musical instrument, how lame it was.
3: I mean, it's just, it's... I'm just going to say I'm going to edit that out. No, (laughs) no, you don't have to edit that
2: out. Everybody knows I I think that way. Yeah. But it's not 100%. There are a lot of really good things about soft synths. First of all, they're free. So if you're a kid, on whatever computer you have, you have a soft synth to play for free. So a lot of kids, a lot of people got into music because they had a free soft synth. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of things you can do in soft synths that don't make any sense as a hardware synth. There's a lot of, you know, more different synthesis methods where, you know, this is really cool, it sounds great, but it only does this much stuff. So you're not gonna build a $2,000 keyboard just to do this. But with software, hey, you can sell something for 200 bucks and you got new stuff. It allows people to stay in the box, you know, so they can be on on the airplane and put on their headphones with their laptop and they could do shit. It is really cool to come up with
3: ideas without having
2: time. Exactly. So there's a bunch of reasons why it's really good. The only reason not the only reason, they they don't sound quite as good and they don't interface with a musician like a musical instrument. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, you could buy a controller with a bunch of a row of knobs that mean nothing except you know that the third one over might be cut off. Uh You know, it's not a usable interactive interface. That's
0: what's always been the biggest turnoff with that, and why I think modular was such a huge draw for me. And modular is kind of the ultimate extreme um, of that. But we've
2: seen it a lot over the years because kids who who were brought up. On soft sense, who've never used a real one, and they'll come to the damn show and they put on the headphones and they start playing. And after five minutes, they say, "Okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. this is this is so much more musical." And that's almost what, that well, not almost. It's what we're doing with the Prophet X. You yeah. know, yeah, you know, people. Oh, it's a sampler. Well, then they they have this thought. This is what a is supposed to be, but they don't realize that this is the only sampler where you could. Easily, quickly immerse yourself into the musicality of a musical instrument and go in many different directions with a single knob turn. You're not spending all your time diving through menus and putting on your geek hat in order Mm -hmm. to make music. So this thing will actually lead you musically into different places you normally wouldn't get because it's too hard and too slow and you lose your place. You're trying to find the right filter and by the time you get there you forget what you were trying to do. Yeah. Here you turn a knob and something really cool happens yeah. and you're done. I mean,
0: it's an idea machine. That so, like that's so. Like a, a priority for a lot of people who are developing either sample-based stuff or really like kind of in-depth. Real time change change and avoiding menu diving. I mean a programming aspect that's gotta be a huge
2: decline. It's huge. And the other nice thing is it's a constrained design. uh, You know, the knobs aren't gonna change. There's not gonna be an update where all the knobs change Mm -hmm. in a week and there's twice as many features in a menu. Mm -hmm. You know that if you come back to that instrument in 10 years and turn the cutoff knob, you know exactly what's going to happen because it's a musical instrument. It's concise. It has its own personality. You're not trying to do everything. It's just, you know, every everything about it. You know, and we see it all the time. You know, when musicians play it, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's it's a musical instrument. And software, I don't think, is ever a musical instrument. It, it's a great piece of technology. And it can sound great, and could do a lot of things, but it's not a musical instrument.
3: Well, and having built-in constraints, I mean, it, it, with so, I mean, it's almost the antithesis of like a software synth. You're it saying is. like, I know I can do anything and everything in this. However, I don't want to do anything and everything. I just want to do like whatever is. Yeah, I want to make music. Totally different than having yeah. limitless objects. I want to make music. And That's it's That's making music
2: stuff. with inspiration. And, you know, when we did the Prophet 6, you know, I didn't want to redo a Prophet 5, because it's kind of dumb. And, you know, we, we get, like everybody else, you know where you want to add features, you know, like a Rev 2, so many modulation capabilities, all this stuff you can do. But every once in a while, I'd go back to the Prophet 5, and you'd go, wow, this thing not only sounds really good, but the palette of sounds you can get out of it are so varied. You can go from here to here to here to here, and you look at the front panel, there's nothing there. It's like, what, 10, 15 knobs and a handful of switches? You know, how could that possibly give you that much of a breadth of sounds? And so that's why we did the Prophet 6, you know, compared to a modern synthesizer, even ours, even the Prophet 12, the Rev 2, the Prophet 8 it seems so basic and so simple. You know, one LFO, you know, Prophet 12 has four LFOs per voice. Right. You know, so it's 48 <laughs> LFOs. And now we have one, and yet it's been one of our best sellers because musicians just connect with it. They go, oh, it's so simple, and yet it sounds so good, yeah. and I get so many different sounds out of it, but it's just, it's all right here.
3: Yeah, yeah. Many different more. So, I mean, yeah. I actually, I can't tell, I'll tell you how many times I've sold, like, synthesizers, because I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to use these B functions. No. And the no. shift button is like
2: dusty. And yeah. it's going to stay <laughs> dusty. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: So that's that's the whole concept. And that's actually, when you're designing a musical instrument, that's the hardest part, is knowing when to stop. And we have arguments all the time. With so, strings to put
3: on it? Yeah.
2: Well, where, where do you just stop? Hey, you know, this knob would be real cool. And we all go, yeah, that'd be really cool. But is it, you know, we've already just added these. You know, should it be this or should it be that? You know, we can't. Put everything in,
0: you just can't. I imagine that's got to be even, that, that temptation's got to just get harder year by year with the that's, the more stuff you can fit in a small box. Yes
2: and no. I mean, we're kind of, well, we've been doing it a long time, yeah, so we're, yeah. we have a good gut feel mm-hmm. for it. And when we come out with a new instrument, you know, like we're working on our next one now, of course, you know, we try to start with a basic concept. You know, it should be, you know, this. But with this and kind of this and appeal to this, uh, we don't like to design to any specific genre. It's not like this is our techno machine. This is our, you know, pop machine. You know, we don't do that. We Mm -hmm. just try to build a new instrument with a focus and a personality and character. And that usually helps us decide where to stop. Uh, the other ha- part that's even more easy is when you're doing a polyphonic analog synth, every voice costs more money. Yeah. Yeah. So every yeah. feature, you might want just a little feature, but it's times 8, yeah. or it's times 16, or it's times 12. So yeah. that also forces you to kind of keep things a little tight.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of variables in the equation of making this instrument. Like, you yeah. want to be able to afford it, but you also want to feel inspired by it, but also make...
3: Well, I also understand that not everybody's going to be able to afford it either, so you need to know who you're we, trying we to
2: deal. With. Well, and that's where we we don't go down that route. We don't say this is only for high rollers. We don't go, let's build something as cheap as we can. It's really all about the instrument, and we see what price it comes out. We you know we try to have a general idea of a mm-hmm. target, but mm-hmm. that's not what drives us. What drives us is some new creative instrument that we can come up with that hasn't quite been done before and will sing with its own voice, and if it costs $12.99 or $29.99, you know,
3: it audience.
2: Yeah, it, it yeah, and it obviously we, we try not to do anything, you know, too wacko. I mean, we're not, I shouldn't say this, we're not going to build an $8,000 voice yeah. instrument. We <laughs> were all t- Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. You know. so, uh, you have to keep that in mind somewhat. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, the Profit X of $4,000 is kind of pushing it Yeah. as far as we're concerned, and yet there's nothing else that gets anywhere near touching it, I mean, on any level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we... Yeah, that's That was a stretch for us, price-wise. I was actually
3: at uh, a Sins meet in June in Atlanta, and uh, I guess I think Jared had yeah. a table, and he had a table right next to me, and he had the Profit X, and people were just like... Essentially, yeah. They're like, I've heard about it. It's been rumored, you know. I've seen a picture or whatever. They are just like touching it and you know putting on headphones, and it was like they were gone. Yeah, there's
2: there's really something magical about the sound, and you know it's taking a little longer for people to get into it because everybody's got a they have this thing in their mind because it says samples, so they immediately think of everything else in the last thirty years that. Got samples, but once they play it and they listen to it and interact with it, then they
3: can you know, understand
0: the Yes, you know. yeah. 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 I'm curious about your, your you have you know, three three modules, right? Three uh, yes. Modules. Yeah. Now is is that kind of a a market or kind of a, a, a area of instruments you're keeping an eye on or, or something you want to dive more into or like, where do you stand uh, at
2: that, right? th- you know, We haven't done a new one in a couple of years yeah. and I don't know that we will. I mean, um, you see we're not a real big company, so we what we found is it sometimes takes almost as much effort, design effort, to get a module into production, you know, because we build something, you know, we're to build a thousand of them, or, you know, a lot of them, uh-huh. and it takes a lot of work to make it perfect, yeah. you know, and ready for production, you got to get all the parts just right, you got to do all the testing and all of that, and make sure, uh, you know, if we are just two guys in our bedroom, then, you know, you can get by, hey, this, this works, good you enough, we can ship it, and we yeah. can do, it, you know. Ten every couple of months, the yeah, yeah. that's a lot easier. But for us, we you know want to do it right, mm-hmm. and you know for not much more effort, we could just design a whole instrument.
3: Yeah, and
2: yeah. I'd much rather design an instrument than uh, just a part of an instrument. And I, I actually on, on that note, I think from what I can tell by all
0: the manufacturers that I've talked to, not all, but it seems like there's kind of a, a trend towards stuff like the Magno's, Nose uh, No Coast and the, the Mother 32 like kind of a semi-modular right. and condensed thing and, and I, just, I just kind of think everything's kind of going towards that I don't know like maybe back to the Groovebox era or something
2: well, we have the Pro 2, which mm-hmm. is a perfect mm-hmm. interface for a modular system because it's got a very deep sequencer. It's got four control voltages in and out that can run at audio yeah, rates. And you, and, and you could program what the CVs do per program. So mm-hmm. one of them, you could have them all driven from the sequencer. Next time, you could have the sliders or an LFO going out, or you could have an oscillator going out as, as, a contr- as a control voltage. So it's perfect to have that with the module.
3: Yeah. But
2: again, we'd rather build a complete instrument than just a part of it. Well
3: you guys are good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Well th- there
2: is that. Yeah, and you know, I'd rather sell something for two thousand dollars instead of two hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. 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 we actually sell more keyboards than we do modules. So yeah. not only does it well yeah. you could yeah. do the math. <laughs> yeah, now, it, makes, right. it makes
3: total sense.
2: And you know, in a lot of cases I could you know, I'll put my mm-hmm. synths up to a Next to a module with the mod matrices we have and how you can control stuff you know okay. and we had the advantage of being able to hit save when yeah. 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 we were done and we can get it back tomorrow <laughs> yeah it's,
3: it's funny it's one of the beautiful things about both of them you know yeah. being able to save obviously I mean that's the amazing thing about the Prophet five is you can save everything on it and it was yeah. like 40 years ago and it's still something that you like if you don't have it now I mean people even buy a, like a modern day Well, no,
2: there have been a lot of very cheap uh, monophonic synths that are non-programmable. Oh,
3: yeah? There,
2: yeah it, that started just a few years back. You know, people realize you know, all you got to do is go online and you get circuits for anything. And, yeah. and, and if it's non-programmable, it's pretty trivial. And if it's monophonic, it's pretty easy to build something that, yeah. that will work because if it's not polyphonic, the voices don't have to match. If it's not programmable, it doesn't have to be repeatable. You don't have true. to have everything tweaked. Uh, you don't have to have your oscillators tuned, It's a, you know, make sure your VCOs are in tune and all that. So it, it's really pretty simple to yeah. do. Uh, and so a whole lot of people were doing that. Cause, yeah. hey, and, so, and since the whole analog thing was exploding, you know, hey, there's a new analog synth. and Everybody's got one. So, so you know, we did that. We kind of started that, actually, you know, with the Mofo was you know, was a $400 monosynth. Yeah. But since then, you know, we decided to be better to stick with the, you know, more professional stuff, higher end stuff, and let everybody else... Uh...
0: Well, I think the MoFo and, like, the Evolver, like the, the desktop stuff, is, a, is kind of the perfect, like, um, you know, entry gate for people to, to the, the sequential world. You know, yeah, sure. It's a good entry point for mm-hmm. yeah. you can, you know, just the, the affordability
2: well, the Evolver is actually my entry gate for getting back into the business. You know, oh, I right. hadn't done any hardware in 20 years. And, and what was so that? 2002, started so, chipping so in. So I started shipping it. So I point to 2002 as the start of the modern-day analog mm-hmm. revolution because that year the Evolver came out and Bob Moe came out with the Voyager. Okay. There, there was both in 2002, and before that, there was really nothing. Yeah, it was like the analog, that, yeah. what I call the... Uh, Dark Ages. Digital Dark Ages. For 20 years, there was nothing. And, you know, when both of those came out, you know, neither one took over the world immediately, but from then, you know, Bob did more stuff, I started coming out with more products, and at the same time, people were starting to to buy older products again, all the stuff that nobody wanted for 20 years, Mm -hmm. so the vintage stuff was coming back in as we were starting to build new stuff. And so it was a very slow curve at first, but then in the last... 10 years because you know the profit eight is 11 years old now already, right? and that I think was kind of the next big jump for getting things going. And that was right when Mo was getting into the slim fatty, I think yeah, it was right yeah. around then. And you know, so we were both taking jumps, and so it just kind of became exponential. What
0: do you think that was like that? That retuning into kind of analog or like heavy your stuff rather than outside of the digital sauce uh, it it's
2: or? it's two things it's the sound yeah. people got really tired of, you know basically after 1987 which is when the m1 came out for 20 years everybody was building m ones you know they just got more bits more of this more that yeah. but it, they're all m ones and <laughs> the second half is the interface you know they all had the same stupid you know row of switches and you know no interaction and thus you know, you are like to punish yourself so you know, it was the combination of well, here's this Jupiter 6, you know you know, wow that's all it takes and listen to it, there's actually some life mm-hmm. because it's, a, you know, as you know polyphonic analog synth means every voice is a completely different synthesizer so you've got six synthesizers all playing together so they can't possibly ever be the same so people just listened and they interacted and it was like wow and there's there's no is all a huge part is also just the uh it's old so it's got to be better i yeah, mean right. there's always some of that that you know because people will sometimes mention hey i got one of these things and i go oh, that, that was a piece of shit you know I, I won't say that but you know you know some of those old scents were just not very good yeah uh but even that though uh any sound can become fashionable again. Yeah. You know, some of the sound since back then. You know, the mm-hmm. Japanese, oh, that's, they were so thin sounding, mm-hmm. and you know, they just. Did, but nowadays, you know, well, actually, they do have their own personality. It's got their yeah. own sound, and yeah. so yeah, that, for and certain kinds of music, it, it actually yeah, works. find a place
0: for yeah, it. Yeah, the like, yeah. G yeah. seven is always going to be, you know, somewhere. It's going to have some. Yeah, it's not my <laughs> So
3: when uh, I was looking over your, we were both looking for your history, and it's like, there are a lot of firsts. First this. Yeah, like first, yeah, I mean, is there anyone that particularly stands out to you that you're kind of the most
2: proud of? Eh, you know, that's always a hard question. It's like, you know, what's my favorite product? You know, I don't know. You know, I, I guess... Not the
3: modules, obviously. Yeah, <laughs>
2: I've never been that much of a modular guy. but. Um, you know, the Prophet Five was the first, of course. So, you know, there has to be a special place for that. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm always most excited about whatever I'm working on next. That's cool. You know, the Prophet X is actually pretty cool. But part of that's just because I haven't done anything sample related in 30 years, so it's kind of fun to get back into it. At this level, of what you yeah. can do now, you know, with 150 gigabytes of samples, for example, and um, and then interact with Analog filters again, and do things in a more instrument-like way. Uh, but as you know, as far as first go, you know, I, I don't do things. So that it's the first, you know. Well,
3: it seems like it just happened. Because after,
2: well, back then it was then. easier, you know, because <laughs> yeah. there was nothing, you know. Yeah. This is the first because it didn't exist before. So, okay. you know, it's it's almost like cheating. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually what was fun in the late '70s, early '80s is every time we go to an AM show, there'd be something cool, and because everybody was just doing new shit mm. all the time. Yeah. And then again, we went to the digital dark ages where there wasn't anything new, you know, or very little. Why do
3: you think that was? Why do you think it, I mean...
2: Well, a large part of it is most keyboard players only wanted emulative sounds from the beginning. Yeah. That's why they loved the Prophet 5. That was the first time that they could have an organ, strings, brass, synth, whatever, uh, even electric piano to a certain degree by hitting a button. That was never... You couldn't do that before. Yeah. So that was the only way to do it. Uh, you know, when the DX7 came out, okay, well now you got Velocity, you got 16 voices, and it's not really a wider pallet, but a different pallet, and of course, it nailed the roads, so that was huge, because everybody was still carrying 200-pound roads around back then. I still do. So then when the M1 came out, then that was it. Everybody's happy, we're done, we got it, it's all right here, and next year it's better, and next year it's better, and next year it's better. And, you know, if you're a Turing keyboard player, that makes sense, you know, you gotta play piano, you gotta play Rhodes, you gotta, you know, that's what you gotta do. Uh, But it just got, I think people just got so wrapped up in that and there was this pent up demand to go crazy again and, you know, experiment with sound and go in different directions. So once we started putting out analog synths again and once they started discovering the old ones again, it just, Oh, it just, it's just—it's like everybody was in a cloud. It's yeah. so, like, oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah. And a lot of people who used to play them are coming back and saying, yeah, I, you know, I sold all that shit twenty years ago, and you know, I miss it, and you know, I got to get it again. And you know, it's—it's—you it's, know, there's no specific direction, uh, reason, but in the beginning, it was because they just wanted emulative. Not that many people were really interested in synthesis.
0: The funny thing is, is when, I look, when, I, when I play one of those older keyboards and, and playing like the ambulance stuff, like, none of it sounds like what it's telling me it's going to sound like. like no, violin no. Sound like a violin.
2: no, no, and it's always been that way, but <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's just all about the personality of sound. And now, yeah. you know, nobody's going to want a DX7, mm-hmm. but you have to remember, you know, there were only like, what, 13,000 minibugs made originally. Right. I mean, it's not, there's only seven or six or seven thousand Profit 5s. It's not that many. There are mm-hmm. a quarter million M1s. Yeah. You know, quarter million DX7s, yeah. you know. So, emulative or synth, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, it's a real easy choice for most people. But this time around, everybody's doing it because they like synths. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why I don't think it's gonna go away this time. No. I think uh, uh, analog subtractive synthesis has passed the test of time. has been around for over 50 years. Everybody knows what the cutoff will we'll do on any yeah. instrument, analog, digital software, whatever it is. You turn that knob, you know what it's going to sound like, and it's a good sound. And subtractive synthesis is conceptually very simple, and yet, for whatever reasons, it happens to have a very wide palette of sounds, so it's a great combination, easy to use and and it just happens to sound good. And who knows why sweeping a resonant filter sounds good. I don't know. Yeah. But it does. it does. It just does. It just, it's like the you most get time
3: thing you could possibly
2: yes. do. <laughs> and we've all heard it a million times. And yeah. we almost you know roll our eyes when we hear it. And it's yet still it like, still sounds uh-huh, good. Yeah. I
0: still do. It. I'll be recording I'm recording something. And then it just sounds wow. so good. And then I'll do it. I'll listen back. And I'm like, why did I do so many? i got to re-record that (laughs) piece. I know, because you can't help it. It's like doing it in private.
3: Don't tell anybody if you feel their
0: sleeves. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't, Thank you. We've, we've almost got a half hour of your time. Oh, wow. Got some, new,
2: got some good stuff in there. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuss words. <laughs> Trash, oh. talk. <laughs> Trash talk. Trash talk. It's all the best, yeah.
0: Um, but Just as a closer, like, you, this is, you've been doing this for a long time, and you're still passionate about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, it's is amazing to see it.
2: That, well, that's, you know, it's nice that I had a break in there. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, after... Well, after Sequential, I worked for Yamaha a tiny bit, and then went to Korg, started their R&D group, which is still there in San Jose, actually, all those years later. And then we did the Wave Station there, and then shortly after that, I kind of got out. Uh, And then the next thing was doing the Soft Synths in the mid-90s. And then it was kind of refreshing to have that break, even for me. I mean, I say the Digital Dark Ages, well, I, I was kind of there, too. I just wasn't really ready to start a company I didn't you know didn't really have the hardware bug again quite yet I knew I didn't want to do so- software but I didn't know quite what to do and so it was just nice to kind of have that epiphany to, well, I think I'll do this again, and I had no plans, I had no idea we'd end up where, I, I just, you know, it was just me for the fi- first five years because uh, I didn't want to have a company Yeah. and even now, I always joked that we don't have a ten-year plan, we don't have a five-year plan, we don't have a one-year plan <laughs> when we finish a product, we start working on what we want to do next uh-huh. and there's no planning involved, we, th- this company has just grown because it's grown
0: because people like it yeah. B-
2: because we, we, we apparently can apparently design instruments that people like, yeah. and yeah. that's not a that's that's not a given, and we recognize that. And not everybody is going to like everything you build. We recognize that also. It's like Stratocaster, Les Paul. You know? mm-hmm. It's it's okay, you know, mm-hmm. pick one. Uh, so, but we just it's just fun. To, there's so much to do.
1: Yeah, I and my f-
0: my friend showed me a Prophet Eight the first time I ever heard any of your stuff, and that's when I was like, it really showed you what a synthesizer could be. Because
2: everybody had forgotten. Yes. It was like no screen
3: involved. No. No mouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Right on, Dave. I appreciate your time. Yeah. No
2: problem. That was fun. So it's. I've got the wrap down, as you could tell. Yeah. <laughs> you're a pro. Yeah. Actually,
3: I saw you at MoFest a couple years ago, and they did like
2: the toast for you. Oh, glad. that was I. I wasn't ex- No, I it didn't, was.
3: They didn't tell anybody. Yeah,
2: I, I just kind of. They said, "Hey, can you come down at six? Uh, you know, you think we're going to do something." And I, you know, I had kind of a hint that maybe you know they, but I didn't. I had no idea. I didn't know I was going to be in the middle of all these modular things and. and
3: Oh, <laughs> it was—it was—it was really—it was, it was, it was, really it was cool.
2: pretty cool. I yeah. mean, that was really—that was cool with them. Yeah, I mean, it really obviously awesome. we're friends with all those guys, and yeah. you know, it's, we're competitors, and yet yeah, you know, it's well,
3: thats the, and to me, like that's one of the amazing things about the synth community, just in general. I mean, I don't know if it's like this in all aspects of the musical instrument community, but with synthesizers, it's like people are really open.
2: Yeah, I'm it's been good. that way, in the late 70s it was that way, you know, we hated everybody at Oberheim, but we were buddies, you yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so on a business level and competing and stuff, rah, yeah. but, you know, we'd go to trade shows and we'd all go out and drink, and, you know, have, you know, because it, it was a small industry, yeah. you know, and, it's, and back then things were moving so fast and we were all just into it, so it was, It's amazing to see the technology,
3: I mean, 50, 40 years is a long time, but still it's, it, just to see how it is now, I mean, it's, it's limitless. Yeah. Much anyway.
2: Well, it's fun what we're doing because some of our stuff, I mean, the technology in the Prophet 6 is actually predates the technology, the synthesis technology predates the Prophet 5. <laughs> because we don't use chips, it's all discrete logic. We're oh, discrete analog oh, wow. circuitry. Yeah. Whereas the Prophet 5 had an oscillator chip and a filter chip and, you know, VCA. No, that wasn't until later. Yeah,
3: stage. well,
2: the, yeah, the, that Prophet 5 has Curtis chips in it. But, uh, The profits uh, six, we have discrete filters, discrete VCOs, uh, but they're also controlled by a very high speed DSP chip. So we can do things, we can control it significantly better than in the old days. I mean, there's a lot of really high tech stuff going on inside that to make the really old tech analog stuff work properly. So, you know, it's fun because we get to continually innovate with new technology and yet we've got a foot in the ancient stuff because that's what sounds good. Yeah,
3: and you don't have to give it up. Yes. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: we don't, you know, it's like people talk about the filters on the Prophet X because there's analog filters, and they say, well, couldn't you do that digital? I say, yeah, but doing it this way is like cheating because all we do is put the filter there, and it sounds so good, and we don't have to do any balancing or try to make them sound different or unique or all this stuff you have to do in a digital domain because it just, it just makes the digital sound better. People can hear it because there's, there's a mode where you could bypass the filters with the uh, samples if you want. Uh-huh. But you compare them, and you, it's hard to put your finger on it, but it, it sounds better. Like literally <laughs> put your finger on the button. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. You know, do it blind. Which yeah. one do you like better? You know, it's, it's something you, you don't notice, it's not a blatant difference in sound, yeah. but there's just this. The intangible. Just a little thing there that I can't describe.
0: Anyhow, thank you so much for joining sure. us. Thanks, so great to Thanks for dropping years?
3: by. Do you mind if we take a couple pictures? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, I don't. Do you want to do it in here? Or...
0: That's our show. Thank you, Darwin. Thank you, Dave. Until next week.